chapter 1 and can be found in your few Bibles on page, if it's the one you've got, on page 1133. I'll be starting at verse 15 and going to the end of the chapter. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his, inher- in, and his incomparably great power for us who, began, who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, um, Wendy, for reading God's word to us this morning. What a, friends, what a, what a joy it is, what a privilege it is to, um, to be able to sing, to be able to pray together, um, to be led by, in prayer and uh, song, and have God's word read for the freedom that we enjoy uh, in Australia, which uh, we sometimes can take for granted. Uh, but God has given us his word, and let's uh, come to him in prayer first, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will help us understand it. Help us, Lord, to be better equipped in our prayer lives, uh, so that we can continue, Lord, to pray for one another. But most of all, Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit will do his work in each of our hearts and lives. And Lord, that you will receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We thank you that your word is living and dynamic and effective, Lord. Your word does its own work by your spirit. And we are just instruments in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, uh, this morning we want to continue our our little uh, series here on prayer. This is the second part of uh, this section, uh, verses 15 to uh, 23. We heard this morning from uh, Anna Harris about prayer. Uh, particularly for women. Uh, I don't know whether there are any books written for men. Uh, maybe there might, there may be books written about for men's prayer lives as well, but you and I know that we struggle uh, with our prayer lives. We can always uh, pray more. Is that clear? Right? We can always do more. We can always pray more. Uh, we can always uh, uh, meet together in prayer and all of those things, but the real challenge for us is uh, when we pray, what do we pray for? How can we pray for each other as the body of Christ here at St. Stephen's? And what should we be praying uh, for each other as well? We can pray for lots of things in our lives, such as for good health, for those who are going through crisis, for those who are looking for employment, 
for those who are going through mental stress and emotional agonies in their lives, uh, for the world, uh, for people who are grieving, uh, for the persecuted church, lots of things we can pray for, uh, for ourselves as well as for one another. But Paul here in this passage uh, speaks about how we can essentially pray as well as for each other. Paul is praying here for the Ephesian church. And uh, we have in our study so far noted in chapter Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14, if you have your Bibles, uh, keep them open or your, your iPhones to that passage, so long as you're not texting or anything like that, but that's okay. <laughs> no, no Googles, it's all, it's all the, the signal is cut here in this place. So, Now, the point is that uh, we have your Bibles, keep them open, and uh, we, we have seen what it means to uh, be chosen in Christ. Uh, the joy of Christ chosen us, electing us in his love. We've seen what it means to be adopted in Christ, where God has taken us and made us his children, uh, given us that, uh, that the authority to belong to him. We've seen also what it means to be redeemed in Christ, that is, our Savior paid the price for our sins once and for all at the cross. He has redeemed us with his precious blood. And we also noted our inheritance that is in Christ, that has been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 114, until the day of our redemption. So there is a day coming when everything will be made known. And we long for the day of Christ, and you and I are living in what we might call the already and the not yet. We are already in the kingdom in Christ. We are already seated with him in the heavenly realms, reigning with Christ in one sense, but everything will be completed between the already and the not yet when Christ returns. And so in the interim period, uh, Paul and, uh, and, and the scriptures do speak about prayer, praying for each other. And last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 17, how to pray for each other, part 1. And so today I want to continue on. And Paul, in fact, reflects on the blessings that God has given to us. He starts that, that letter uh, with wonderful praise, doesn't he? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 3. And then he goes on. I said this, this massively long sentence, about 204 words, and comes now into the prayer that we have here. And so this morning we're going to pick up from verses 18 to 23 in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 1. Friends, last week we saw the need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And now Paul continues to pray that their eyes, that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. Uh, in fact, we see that, isn't it, in verse 18. I pray also, I'm picking up from verse 18 now to 23. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three significant things that Paul is praying for, and we'll unpack that this morning. He prays here for the, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. It seems rather strange. Why would you say that you want to pray for, for the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened? Is it possible, friends, that we are walking around with spiritual blinkers? Is it possible that there are the spiritual scales in our hearts, as it were, blocking us from seeing the bigger thing that God has done for us. And so Paul says here, he uses this word enlightened, which essentially means to be illuminated. 
That is to be filled with the light of God's truth on our lives. Paul is using the Old Testament or Old Testament expression or language of enlightenment. You can read that in, in, in the Psalms, Psalm 13, Psalm 19, for spiritual understanding that comes to the heart. You see, the heart in Jewish thought was the seat of thought and emotions. The heart is the entire inner self and it comprises both the mind and our emotions connected together. So, for example, when someone is in love, they draw the shape of a heart, isn't it? Right? This is the love heart. Why? Because there is a mind and the heart is at work. And so there is, love is in the air. You know that song, right? You know that song, come. You know the song, love is in the air, right? Okay. You see, the heart, it, it plays a, 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 such an important part here that, that, that Paul is saying your entire being, your emotions, your mind, everything needs to be opened up. They are closely connected here, the heart and the mind. And here the, the eyes of the heart is your inner eyes. And therefore it is a prayer for the heart to be enlightened, to be opened up, so that we have a spiritual vision to see or to grasp the truths as given to us by God. And the Bible speaks about the heart many and numerous times. Because God speaks to the heart, does he not? When he converts a person, he takes a cold heart and makes it a warm heart. When God speaks, he speaks to the heart and to the mind. And so the heart and the mind, there is the rationality as well as the emotionality that comes with it and we respond. And so Paul is saying here, Open the eyes of our hearts. We must not only feel emotionally, but also think rationally based on the truths of God's word. You see, friends, we don't just go by feelings. Though feelings are very important. But when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, we see life as it really is. And we begin to understand the complexities of things, as well as the diversity of things, as well as the truth of God's word that penetrates the heart. So our hearts need to be constantly open, enlightened, so that God's truth will flood the heart and you and I will be moved in our inner being. Do you see that? That God continues to change and transform this heart. And so Paul is saying, open up the heart. Pray, he says in verse 18. He says that, doesn't he? I, I, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And Paul asks here that we have our spiritual vision, that our hearts be enlightened regarding three specific truths that we have in the scriptures here, which he wants his readers to know and experience through the opening of the, heart, of the eyes of their hearts. There are three things that are mentioned here. Verses 18 and 19. The first one is 
may your heart, may the eyes of your hearts be open to the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, may the eyes of your hearts be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And the third thing that Paul prays here, that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, is that you may know the immeasurable greatness of, of his power through raising Jesus from the dead. Well, I mean, this is, this is a tremendous passage in that sense, right? First and foremost, that the eyes of your heart be opened to the hope to which he has called whom? Called you. Individually and collectively to the church. You see, Paul prays that they may know and grasp the hope of their calling. The calling that God has made for you from eternity. You see, we've dealt with that already. That calling that God, we we sang the hymn this morning, um, Church of God elect from every nation. The one who has called you, did you notice the words? Maybe not, but maybe you did. The one who has called you from darkness. You were aliens. You were outside of that call. But God has called you from darkness into his light. He has opened up your heart. He has opened up my heart. He has opened up our thinking and brought us into the light of his salvation. That's the calling. Did you think back of of God's wonderful, amazing, gracious calling to you? That's what Paul is saying. I want you to know, to continue to pray, to give thanks. Remember that the, your, the eyes of your hearts may be opened to know the hope of your call, calling. You see, friends, this calling is one of hope. He has called us to new life. He has called us to be His. He has called us to freedom. Uh, what, what really is Hope. Well, the Webster Dictionary defines hope as follows. To hope, it says, is to desire with expectation of fulfillment. I think a very clear statement, nothing profound about it. To, to, to desire with expectation of fulfillment. So hope is to anticipate. It is possessing within ourselves an expectation that someday there will be the fulfillment of that desire when, you, when your dream will become a reality. Right? Your dream becomes a reality. Now, all of us have dreams. I'm not just talking about dreams when we sleep. <laughs> Sometimes they can be nightmares, but I'm talking about just dreams in life, right? Generally speaking, you might dream about lots of things. Maybe they never materialize even. But you might dream, well, wouldn't it be nice to lay on the beach in yeah, Port Macquarie or somewhere and enjoy the nice, beautiful sunshine and the, and the beach, and not having to work so hard, and just walk along the beach. It might never happen. It might. You just don't know. We, we have dreams. We dream for our kids. They are futures. We, it, it, it's part of being that humanity. But Paul is saying more than that about this hope. You see, he's saying, uh, the, you see, the word hope means to look to the future. Life is in one sense driven by hope. For example, when you go to university or to TAFE, you go in with the, with the hope, what is it, to complete your studies, right? <laughs> you hope so. You're working hard because at the end of it, you hope to complete your studies, get your certificate and follow a career path. 
Or for example, if you're learning to drive. Why would you start driving if you don't have any hope that one day you get a license to drive? You see what I'm saying? Hope is always, in one sense, looking to the future. And when the Bible speaks of hope, it really speaks of hope that is not just hope for this world. But it is a hope that is beyond the realms of this world. It takes us, in the context of Ephesians chapter 1, it takes us to the realms of heaven itself. It is not a hope only for the year and the now, but it is a hope that is called the anchor of the soul. It's like a ship. When it is in rough waters, it puts down its anchor, right? These massive ships. The Queen Mary 2 and so forth. Imagine the size. I'm always fascinated with big machines. Ships and planes. I, I can see them watch these kind of programs. And the massive ships, they anchor. And they put their anchor down there. And in the midst of all the waves and everything else, it still is steady. Because it has anchored. Right? And so also, for the Christian, our hope is anchored. It is gone down. It is not gone down in this sense. It is gone up. It's incredible. It is anchored in Christ. And so when the waves come and we are tossed up and down, I mean our hope seems almost gone. It is anchored. It is safe. It is sound. It is secure. Because it is anchored in the God of hope. You see, when your life is going through all its ups and downs and its challenges and everything else. And when, it, when you think it is a hopeless situation, remember your calling. Paul is saying, pray that your eyes be open to the hope of your calling. Remember that you are anchored in this great God of hope. That's the prayer, isn't it? To be praying for. See, for the Christian friends, this is the hope of our calling. For the Christian, there is always a happy ending in life. Always. In heaven itself. It is life in the presence of God. It is anticipation of being presented to Jesus. Verse uh, Ephesians 5.27 So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without, without spot or wrinkle or anything any such thing uh, that, that she might be holy and without blameless. Such is our hope. Hope is determined. It does not give up. Because, you know why? The Bible tells us this. And Peter says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has uh, caused us to be born again into a what hope? Into a, a living hope. Do you see that? A living hope. Why? Why is it a living hope? And Peter connects it there. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is where hope is anchored. That is where the hope comes from. This living Savior. So here we are. Paul prays that you may, your eyes, the, the eyes of your heart be opened. That you may be enlightened in order that you may know you may know the hope to which he has called you. It doesn't stop there. It says, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, why would Paul, I was sitting looking at this text and saying, why would we be praying? 
uh, that our eyes be open to this inheritance. What good is the inheritance now for us here? You see, when we think of the word inheritance, perhaps you think about wealth. You think about someone who has passed away, passed on, and, and written in his will a bequest for you, right? Generally speaking, that's what comes up in our minds about uh, inheritance. You see, but Paul is saying here, and he's saying, I pray that the eyes of your hearts be opened to also know the glorious inheritance that is ours. Look at the text, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Two interpretations here, friends, about this glorious inheritance. One, it can refer to God's inheritance of us. That is, we are his possession. Now, there are some commentators who take that view. The second interpretation is this. It can refer to our inheritance of what God has given to us and is in store for us. Now, I believe, and I've taken the second option here, that God's inheritance here means the second one. That is, what God will give us and has in store for us is people. And the scope of such an inheritance is rich and it is glorious. Again, let me quote Peter. Peter says there in verse 4. Look at the text. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, chapter 1, 3 to 5. Let me read verse 4. To an inheritance, 4 and 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Three things. Incorruptible, undefiled, unfading. This is the inheritance that has been kept for you and for me. And Paul prays that we may know the riches of it, anticipate it and know the glory of it. Why? Because this should be an encouragement along the way in life to know that God is a generous God. Because as we read in 1 Corinthians, we read this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. For Paul is praying, may the eyes of my heart be opened to see this glorious inheritance that God has in store for me. And as I go along this life, and as I go along the pathway of life, and particularly to the Ephesian Christians at the time, in the midst of all the persecution and the challenges, where wealth was the number one thing in the city of Ephesus, Paul is saying, just don't focus here, but know that inheritance, for it will keep you looking to not just the here and the now, but also to the future. That God has in store for you and for me. An inheritance that can never be touched. Kept in us for heaven. All our ministry. All the tears down here on earth. All the persecution that we go through. We prayed this morning for those 200 girls who were taken by that, by that group. Uh, the sadness of those things. And for Christians, friends who recently were separated and, and, and shot and killed just this past week. You see, for them and for us, this is the encouragement, the hope of our calling. God, open our eyes, we'll see the hope of our calling. Open the eyes of my heart that I may see the inheritance that you have in store for me. Un- undefiled, unfaded, untouchable. What an encouragement. For God's people. Right? 
And then, as we keep moving, he says, and he prays for this greatness of power. Look at, look at the text there, he says in verse 90. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working uh, of his mighty strength. Verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and so forth. That is a massive passage there. The prayer is that we may know is power. Just look at verse 19 and 20. I think this is a power-packed text. It's full of power here. Um, I uh, use an electric shaver. And I put it on the other day, and it was dead ass. (laughs) You know what's happened? I've never recharged the shaver, so it did not have power. We went out recently somewhere, and I started the car, and it just didn't start. And my good friend had to get a jump start, get it jump started, because the battery was as flat as. Have you had that experience as well? Flat batteries? <laughs> Not a very pleasant thing, right? You lose power. You see, this power that God speaks of here is, is, is a greater power. You see, sometimes we don't plug into that power. We sit along and go along in life, not looking and not plugging into this power that God has given and exerted in Christ. And Paul is saying, may the eyes of your hearts be opened to experience this amazing power, this great and wonderful power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. You see, power is repeated, is a repeated word in Ephesians. In fact, Paul's second prayer in chapter 3 is a focus on power. And if you notice the text, dear friends, if you look with me carefully, Paul uses some very key and significant words here to describe this power. We might just read it and just pass on, but I want to just draw your attention very quickly. The word for power is the word dynamite. Right? So it's dynamic power. It is a good metaphor to describe the power that God has given and shown when he raised his son from the dead. He also uses the power, this word energy. Now friends, we all get tired, right? You don't? We all do. Sometimes our energy levels are down and we're just, we're just trying to pick up ourselves and keep going. At the end of the day, perhaps you had a rough day at work and your energy levels have gone boom, down. Spiritually as well, sometimes our spiritual energy levels can go down. And it does from time to time. And the power seems to be going out as it were. Now I'm not saying that we have this special thing that power keeps coming into us. What Paul is saying is that we already have this power that is within us through the power. If you read elsewhere in the scriptures, and if you look at Acts chapter 1, the passage that I just, we just read the first reading, you shall receive, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you shall receive, what is the word? You shall receive power. You see, the power that comes, it is a power from God. It is a power that comes into a sinner's life and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God continues to give this energy supply, this spiritual energy supply that keeps coming and coming and coming from the God of all power who raised His Son with a tremendous power by raising Jesus from the dead. That's, that, see, that is what Paul is saying. This is not just power here. Paul is saying, this is the power. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted 
when he raised Christ from the dead. The kids talk here this morning. Jesus died on the cross. And you saw the, the young people and, and, and Pete being there in the tomb. Right? He was dead. And what brought Jesus back to life? It's the power of the Spirit that brought this dead body of three days back to life. And God and Paul is saying, your eyes be open to know this power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. And he uses this word energy, meaning it is a, that's the, that's the Greek text that's used there, the word that is used there is energeia. That is, it is energy, it is in working which suggests that the inward energy that comes from this power, and he uses another word, it is great, and he uses another word which is mighty, which, which, which refers to force, and when it's combined, when you combine these, these words together, you know what you get, the picture here? The picture here is awesome power. <laughs> awesome power. And that's why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, and verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, again dynamite, it is the power of God. And friends, I pray this morning for you and for me as well. That the eyes of our hearts be opened to know the hope of our calling. To know the glorious inheritance that God has in store for us. And to know this incredible power that is ours, that God has given to us by raising Christ from the dead. And this has got massive implications. We don't go into all of that this morning. It's got massive implications in terms of our eternity, the resurrection, the first fruit of Christ. And you know what this power, let me explain this. This power that God has done now in your, in your life and mine through exertion of raising Jesus from the dead. Get this picture. Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. But that power is now at work in whose life? In yours and mine. And one day, when Jesus returns, that power will be exerted in all its splendor and power when he resurrects whom? You and me from the dead. <laughs> Do you see that? And that's the power that is at work in your life and mine through the Holy Spirit. That one day, just as Jesus was resurrected, God exerted the power and raised him from the dead. That power through the Holy Spirit is working in you and me. And one day, it will be exerted in all its fullness when our souls will be reunited to Christ, with our bodies and we have a glorious body like his. Paul is saying, may the eyes of your heart be opened. This is an encouraging prayer. You see, this is how we are to be praying for one another, friends. That is this, this glorious power that conquered death itself. That, that final enemy, this resurrection power. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, I want to know whom? Christ. Just to know the power of his resurrection. Are you living a life where sin is getting the better of you. Are you struggling with some particular sin perhaps and you're trying and you, it's getting the better of you? Now you and I know those struggles. When I became a, a Christian at first, uh, I had no concept about sin and everything else, and just like you perhaps. I had no ideas about these things. And suddenly my, my, 
things started to change within myself. And I had to struggle with my own sin, and I still do. But sometimes uh, a sin might be a besetting sin. It might be a sin that brings you down. It might be a depressing sin that, that you're trying everything and you can't. And you know what, friends? Christ has won the victory. And he has given us the power through his spirit to be able to turn from temptation and say, Lord, may your power be evident in my life. May your power flow through in the church. May your power cut through in this world. Right? Because you and I can't convert anyone. No preacher can claim anything. We are just instruments. Whoever mounts this pulpit, God can use anyone. It's, no, it's not coming from the eloquency of a preacher or a persuasion of a human uh, speaker over here. It is God's power that does things. Each time people mount this pulpit, I'm sure they would pray just like I pray. Lord, it is your pulpit. It is yours to do your work. See what I'm saying? Friends, do you know this power of this God in your life? But you will receive power as Paul, as the, we saw in Acts chapter 1. See, we have spiritual power to walk in the newness of life. We have the spiritual power to stand firm in the Lord. We have the spiritual power to be able to say no to the sin. And most of all, we have the power by God's Spirit to know one day of that resurrection that is ours. So that's the resurrection power. Secondly, we see this kingly power as well here. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And what, did, what happened to Christ after that? He seated him where? In verse 20, in where? In the right hand, in the heavenly realms. Position of authority, a position of power. See, Jesus was taken up into heaven. No skyhook, no elevator, no escalator, no rocket, no nothing. He was taken up. The cloud hid him from their sight. An amazing experience. And the Bible tells us he's seated at the right hand of the Father. A position of splendor, of authority, of supreme honor and authority. And Paul in his prayer wants Christians to know and understand that this Jesus rules. The church might go through many a troubles, many a schisms, many a low moments. But know this Jesus rules. Far above every authority, verse 21. And then I also put the third power I think that we see here is headship power. Okay? And, and God verses 22-23. That's a headship power here. I, I was thinking about this word when I used it. And I used it particularly here. Uh, headship power. By what, what, what do we see there? This is power as the head over all things. It's the Lord of all things. I'll tell you this little story and then we'll wind up. The story is told of Sir Isaac Newton, the well-known scientist who was said to have had an, ex, uh, an exact replica of our solar system made in a miniature model. And at the center of it was a large golden ball representing the sun. All right? And revolving around it were smaller spheres attached at the end of rods of different lengths. And they represented Mercury, Venus and other known planets. They were all geared together with, by cogs and belts to make them move around the large golden ball representing the sun. And one day, Sir, um, Sir Newton was studying the model, and a friend who did not believe in God stopped by to visit Sir Isaac Newton. And then, 
the friend was amazed at the device. And watching as the scientist made this, this revolve around the sun, the golden ball, his friend said, My Newton, what an exquisite thing this is. Who made it for you? Who made it for you? And Newton replied, Nobody. His friend asked again, and Newton said, Nobody. That's right, I said, Nobody. All these cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together, and wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. <laughs> Nobody made it. His friend got the message. You see, the text here, friends, tells us that God placed all things under his feet. That is, I see that's the text, and I was looking through it, that is that Jesus is both creator and savior. Why do I say that? Two passages, very quickly. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter 1, 15, 17. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Right? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all things are being created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. And verse 19, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwelling Christ his son, isn't it, in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. You see, Christ is the head of the universe, the creation, but he is also the head of the church. That's very interesting, put all things under his feet. See, who is the Lord of this church? See, sometimes we say, oh, our church is at uh, Surrey Hills, which is true. But I always try and say to people, or I try and rephrase it, it's the Lord's church <laughs> that meets in Surrey Hills. You know what I mean? That's, it might sound very subtle, but it's just a reminder to us. So friends, let's continue to pray. Let us pray that the eyes of our hearts be opened. We pray for one another, giving thanks for each other, as Paul did in this prayer. For faith, for love. Praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may get to know God better. Praying that the eyes of our hearts be opened, spiritual vision, to grasp the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power for us. May that be our prayer as well, as we pray for each other and as we pray for ourselves. Will you? Pray that these things will be yours as well. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing God. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege of prayer. Help, the, help us, Lord, to understand these things. Pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened to know the hope of our calling, the riches of your glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of your, of your power for us, that we will pray that, that these things will become more and more part of our lives, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation, giving thanks for each other for our faith and love. In Jesus' name, amen.